Insightful podcasts by informative hosts. Insights into things. A podcast network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of No Credits Rolled, a show where we play the games and sometimes even finish them. My name is Sam Whalen, and today we've got some news stories for you and my thoughts on some games I've been playing. Uh, Let's get right into it. So story number one here, we've got the Xbox Developer Direct for 2024. Uh, This was a couple weeks ago, uh, and we're going to see if Microsoft's dominoes are finally falling into place. Right, I mean, they've been setting up all these properties, trying to compete with what PlayStation's got going on, and we're wondering if maybe now finally all these studio acquisitions are uh, coming to fruition. So recently, Xbox held their 2024 Developer Direct and showcased five upcoming games. It, they initially said four, but there was a surprise fifth one for all you uh, crazy kids out there. Pretty cool reveal. Uh, and like I said, are the dominoes for Microsoft finally falling? Um... That's up for you and I to decide, or maybe we'll see in the next couple of months and years. Uh, Overall, I felt the presentation was really well done. Uh, It was focused, and I didn't think any of the games overstayed their welcome. Um, That's really the thing when you watch any of these, you know, directs or showcases or, you know, whatever you want to call them. You really don't want to feel like your time is being wasted. And I think this direct kind of nailed that, honestly. Uh, There was... You know, like I said, five games. They said four, but they eventually did five. And I think each game got the perfect amount of time where, you know, even if you weren't necessarily interested in the game just on a concept, by the end of their segment, you were like, okay, well, maybe I'll give this a shot. The variety of games shown was also pretty great. You had a turn-based sim, a couple first-person action games, the third-person narrative-driven game, and then a sequel to a beloved uh, classic. So really, I feel like there was something in there for everybody. Now, a lot of people that are sort of hot on the Xbox wire were looking forward to a couple things. You know, we were hoping for a Hellblade 2 release date. Uh, Anything from that game, people are going to eat that up. Uh, And we did get it. In general, we were hoping for concrete release dates, release windows, you know, kind of giving us an idea of what Xbox and Microsoft's plan is. Uh, in this 2024 year. And I think this uh, this direct did a pretty good job showing that. I think, you know, they kind of split it up into quarters, so each quarter we're getting one of these big games. Now, some of these games are certainly bigger than others. Um, two of them, well, that's not true. Some of these games are definitely bigger than others, uh, depending on the mass market appeal they're going to have. There's one in particular that I think is really going to, you know, get a lot of people in, uh, and that's, of course, Indiana Jones, which we'll talk about in a bit. But I kind of just want to run down the games that were shown and kind of give my thoughts on them. So the first one, I'm, I don't know if these are in order of the showcase. Uh, I just pulled them from memory. Uh, but the first one I've got here is Avowed. This is the uh, first-person game, uh, first-person RPG coming from Obsidian Studios. Of course, they made Fallout New Vegas. They made uh, The Outer Worlds, which I've played both those games. I haven't finished them because uh, that is the name of the show. 
Um, but what I played of Outer Worlds most recently, uh, I did enjoy. You know, the the combat of these Obsidian games is not really the highlight necessarily. It's usually the uh, choice making in your dialogue, the RPG aspects of it. And I think that's exactly what this section of the Direct showed off. It showed off that, hey, you know, you're going to be doing all the stuff you want to do in an Obsidian game. You're going to have cool interactions with characters. I think in the example they showed there was an NPC and you could choose what you wanted to tell them, what you didn't want to tell them, and that would affect your story going forward. And that's exactly what fans of Obsidian games want. Uh, it's what people praise Wallet New Vegas for. Uh, and I think, it, you know, it, it was a long time since I played Outer Worlds, but I do remember that being a component of that game as well, of, you know, the inter- the companions that you have and how you choose to interact with the main story of the game and the, cho- the choices you make. Uh, and hopefully we'll get more of that from this as well. Um, I was kind of lukewarm on this game going into the direct because I, from what I had seen of it, it looked pretty generic to me. Um, I wasn't really sure what was going to make it stand out from, uh, what was the name of that game? Immortals of Avium, right? That's, they were going for more like a first person shooter with spell casting. And obviously you, you hear Obsidian, you're expecting a certain pedigree. And I think that in this direct, they show that they still got it and it got a lot of people excited. I also just want to shout out, they put out new key art for it, uh, and it looks sick. Uh, I would like to get that on like a poster or a t-shirt. Even if I don't play the game, I think that key art is very cool, and you should all go check it out. Um, What else did I want to say? I think that was pretty much all I had for Avowed. Uh, Oh, yeah, like I said at the beginning of this, the combat still looks a little basic in this game. I definitely think they're taking strides to make it more dynamic and make it more interesting. Um especially with that magic element being in there. They're, usually they go more sci-fi with, well, I guess with New Vegas and um, Outer Worlds, but now they're doing like a magic thing, so that's always fun. And they show that you can dual-wield wands, which looks pretty cool. That's probably what I will do. Probably what I will do. Um, but yeah, you know, high hopes for this. And it's a, it's a big, it's one of the big dominoes for Microsoft. You know, they need some bangers to come out. And I think Avowed could be on that list. You know, it could be a, I don't know if it'll be a game of the year contender, but, you know, it could be, it certainly will probably be in the discussion for uh, action RPG or something along those lines, unless it really blows us out of the water. And then, hey, you know, who's to say where it could end up in our game of the year discussion for next year? So the next game I have here is Aura on History Untold. Uh, This one looked interesting to me. Uh, I'm a very casual Civ fan. I do want to make that clear. I've played mostly with my friends. Uh, and that's usually when you can get me into Civ. Uh, I believe the one I played the most solo was probably five, either four or five. Uh, they all kind of blend together for me as, again, as a very casual fan. But it looks like this game um, is breaking the mold in a lot of ways uh, while also keeping the mold in some other ways. Now, this is coming from Xbox Game Studios. Uh, it's a turn-based game, turn-based strategy game, uh, and this is from their website, Uh, It's about building and leading a nation throughout alternate history, which, hey, who doesn't like alternate history? And that's kind of what made me more curious, uh, is if we are going to see, and they show this in the the direct, like, um, you know, the Eiffel Tower in in Japan or something along those lines. And I know that's a very simple thing to, like, wow, like, to wow me. Uh, But those are always the most fun parts of Civ is, you start from the dawn of time or you start at a certain era and then you make history, whatever you want. But I felt like Civ never really role played with that. If that makes sense, 
um, it was always very much, you're still managing your empire. You're still, you know, collecting resources and doing all these different things, but it didn't feel like, okay, if I'm Japan in, you know, 19, whatever, and I have the Eiffel Tower, does that affect how my game progresses? And that's what I'm really curious to see in this, if, if there are things like that. Um, recently, I tried getting back into Age of Empires because it was on Games Pass. I think I played four, whatever the latest one is. I think I also tried two that they remastered too, and I just couldn't get into it. I really, I really wanted to because I think that game had a lot of um, potential, and obviously people love those games, so it's not like they're, you know, some sleeper hit. But for me, I just found it to be very overwhelming. And and that's kind of my problem with Civ as well. That's why I said I really only played it with friends because, you know, playing with friends, it was easier to just, you know, you turn on the Discord and you're talking to your friends. You're not necessarily, you know, managing everything to the nth degree. You're kind of just having fun. But when you're just playing solo, it's just you and your thoughts <laughs> and this and this, you know, millennial spanning empire. And there's so many little details that you can get into. And with Age of Empires, it was very overwhelming. With Civ, they kind of make it, you know, you can play it easier where you don't have to worry about stuff like that. Uh, but that's the biggest thing for me with um, History Untold is that I think to get the casual fan on board, if they can do that, I think it's really going to make this game a smash hit because from what I've heard, the reception of Civ Six was not great. Uh, and if this team's going to take a stab at it and knock it out of the park for both casual and career fans of these types of games, I think they're going to have themselves a huge hit on their hands. Uh, it's developed by Oxide Games. I do want to say that too. I, I left that out, but we've got a release window for this in 2024. Uh, so we'll have to see. Uh, I have, you know, I'm looking forward to it. If a game drops on Games Pass and I'm able to play it, I will, I'll try it pretty much no matter what it is. All right. The next one I want to highlight is actually the final one I've covered here because uh, I forget if I said this at the top, but really only three games to me appealed to me just based on my personal tastes, uh, that being avowed, uh, our history untold. And now our final one, which I already teased at the beginning of the show, uh, was Indiana Jones and the Great Circle. This trailer really wowed me. Um, I try to temper my expectations when it comes to these big IP games or reboots of popular franchises because I know they're going to go for the nostalgia bait, and they do every time. You know, one of the things that I have a particular pet peeve of is when you get the soft reboot of something and they do the original theme, but as a slow piano that happens all the time. Ghostbusters did it. I think Indiana Jones did it when they did dial a destiny. I'm sure there's a YouTube compilation of it. It's like the thing they all do. They play the slow piano of the theme and that's how you know it's some kind of reboot that's trying to get you in your feels. Uh, that being said, this this trailer for Great Circle did kind of hit a lot of those Indiana Jones notes. You know, obviously played the theme because you got to play, but the regular theme, not the slow piano theme. They played the theme. They let that do the heavy lifting here. They they show uh, the whip. Everybody loves the whip. They do a, I think they do a travel montage of the map. So all that they show Marcus Brody. All those things are great. But besides that, besides the thing that are going to get like your dad to pop, I think it captured the feeling of those original movies very well. You know, the the adventure and the um, like the the pulpiness of it, uh, and that's what really made me excited for. Because first off, it's being made by Machine Games, who made the Wolfenstein games, which I like, except for New Blood, because no one liked that game, um, myself included. That game was not great. Um. 
So they've they already got a great track record with these kind of things, and especially if you're tackling Indiana, Indiana Jones, you know he's going to be fighting Nazis probably. So I think they're the perfect studio to handle it. And I think with the Wolfenstein games, they show their ability to have sort of um, wacky, dynamic combat in a first-person shooter, and I think that's really going to translate to an Indiana Jones game very well. Uh, obviously, like I said, they show the whip. The, they did like a whole little segment on the whip and how it's going to tie into gameplay in all different kinds of ways, and that's great. Uh, it reminds me of like a you know a Sly Cooper where his his staff is integral to gameplay or you know it's always a good thing when your character has a signature weapon that you can use in a variety of ways in your game. It makes it, it makes it a fun time. I think they even showed a guy in the developer studio like with a whip on his desk. That, that guy's not messing around. All right, stay away from that guy. Uh, of course, we have Troy Baker doing his best Harrison Ford, which was pretty good. Um, there was one line where I was like, okay, he, it sounds like he's making fun of Harrison Ford. But all things considered, you know, everybody does a Harrison Ford impersonation, I feel like. Uh, but Troy Baker is like a legend, so I, I have faith that he'll be fine. Um, and again, I, I wonder I wonder how much they're going to tr- want to make this their own Indiana Jones story versus calling back to other movies. Uh, I'm curious how that's going to play. And part of that is Troy Baker is very clearly doing a Harrison Ford um and, you know, a Harrison Ford voice. But I'm curious if we'll get a little bit more range in that, you know, when he has to maybe emote more. We'll see. Um, but like I said, it's really capturing the Indiana Jones feel, and it was really cool to see finally see gameplay. And I believe we we got 2024 for this, late 2024, so probably holiday season. Uh, I can't wait. Um, I'm very excited for this. And, you know, I hope it I hope it is good. I hope it lives up to expectations. Um I kind of don't know how it can unless it's like really buggy or something. And I'm sure we can file this away and come back to it and, uh, and you know, at the end of this year and see if it does flop, but I have high hopes for it. Uh, so yeah, that's Indiana Jones and the great circle. Um, the other games that were shown were, uh, oh yeah. Uh, Hellblade two, which I didn't play Hellblade one cause I try to avoid scary games. But what they're doing with that game looks very impressive. The visuals in that game are incredible. Uh, and in the showcase, they were, or in the director, rather, they were showing off the, like, the uh, binaural audio recording they were doing. And they had, they had the voice actress, two of them, like, walking around the mic recording. And it went very, very cool behind-the-scenes stuff if you're into how this stuff is made, you know, the audio production and stuff like that. Very cool. Highly recommend you check that section of the direct out. Um, and yeah, I know people that love Hellblade really love Hellblade and I'm happy for them that they're getting a sequel finally after all this time. Um, the game itself looks really creative and really unique, uh, and I hope it does well. And then of course the secret fifth game that was revealed, uh, was Visions of Mana, which is a follow-up to Secrets of Mana, which I didn't play. Uh, it kind of looked like Dragon Quest X, maybe? Whatever the latest Dragon Quest was. Uh, again, never played those games either. This is kind of a genre of games that I'm pretty unfamiliar with. Uh, but again, if this is your thing, then hey, you know, more more mana, more of this franchise. Um, happy for you. And nice to see that, uh, I believe there's a Square Enix partnership there. Uh, so that's good. And yeah, it's the first mainline entry in over 15 years. This is from um, Joe Scrabbles over at the Xbox Wire. Uh, so good for them. You know, I... Uh, I hope the people that like those games continue to like it. I hope it does well. And considering Xbox put it in their developer direct, 
Uh, they clearly put a lot of value in stocking it as well, so I hope it pays off. Now we're going to get into an Xbox Games Pass game, Pal World, everybody. All right, I'm sure if you've, you're on the internet at all, you have seen Pal World in the last couple of days. Uh, it has been described as Pokemon with guns, but I'm here to tell you it's more than that, folks. Uh, I've been playing it way more than I thought I would. Uh, we're going to cover the news element of it here. We'll get more into my thoughts in the review portion of the show. Uh, but Pal World is taking the gaming world by storm on both console and PC. It comes from Japanese developer Pocket Pair. Uh, and like I said, it's been described as Pokemon with guns. It sold 6 million copies in just four days. Uh, that's a tweet from the developer themselves. Uh, this is all while the game is still in early access. Six million copies in just four days. Those numbers are uh, ridiculous. <laughs> uh, again, considering a game is just in early access. But I feel like you see this a lot. You see uh, a game blow up like a Lethal Company or... Um, I don't PC game a lot, so I, I'm kind of guessing here. But let's stick with Lethal Company as an example. Uh, you'll see a game like this get picked up by popular streamers and by, you know, big groups of friends that want to play it, and then it just blows up, especially on things like Steam. And I think that's what we're seeing here with Pal World. You know, I, I was on Twitch the other day, and every almost every streamer I followed was um, playing this game. And I think it's just, it's so captivating. Valheim's another example, which is, we'll get to why that made me think of it in a second. Um, but yeah, I, when a game hits like this, it... It goes so viral so quickly that I think you just have to play it, right? It's like the feeling of missing out. You know, everybody's raving about a movie. Everybody's raving about a TV show. Six million copies sold in four days. Well, there must be some something of merit there, right? So I should go play it as well. And if you have Games Pass, you know, I'm not sponsored by Xbox, but if you have Games Pass, it is included in there, the preview for it. Uh, and that's what I've been playing. Uh, for some comparison, this is data from Christopher Dring, at gamesindustry.biz. Uh, he says, quote, Pal World had a peak concurrent Steam player count of 1.29 million recently, which is the fifth highest number in Steam history. That's from the Steam database. Uh, it sits behind Dota, Ark, Counter-Strike, and PUBG. I think this this is not part of the quote. This is me talking. Sam, your host. I think that it beat those games out. I think it now it's only behind PUBG, but this information, these numbers are rapidly changing as the game grows more and more. Uh, back to Christopher's quote, uh, it's above the likes of Cyberpunk, Elden Ring, New World, uh, Hogwarts Legacy, and Baldur's Gate 3. So, very impressive, especially when you see it going up against these AAA, you know, titans, like a, you know, a From Software game, Baldur's Gate 3, which clean, you know, is a critical and commercial darling with myself and this show included. Uh, Hogwarts Legacy, which I should have included this in the news, but I saw a thing that Hogwarts Legacy beat out Call of Duty for the best-selling game of last year, um, now I believe those numbers were a little bit iffy because it doesn't include like Nintendo, Nintendo digital sales or like, um, the Blizzard virtual, uh, sell, um, sales on Battle.net. So, you know, take the numbers with a grain of salt. Also Call of Duty last year was like the worst performing Call of Duty ever. So if ever there was a time for that game to be usurped, it probably was last year. Um, yeah, just some interesting numbers there. Back to Pal World. Uh, the issue of Nintendo does come up with this game. Nintendo is very notorious for shutting down anything that infringes on their IP. Um, you know, the the 
emulator community has had to deal with this for years with Nintendo shutting down their stuff of the remakes of games, uh, emulations of games. Nintendo wants to keep everything in their clutches um, <laughs> for better or worse. I mean, clearly that shows that they care about their brand in some regard. Uh, is that because they just want to port everything again on the Switch 2 and make everybody buy it again? Hey, who knows? A lot of the controversy with Power World, though, does come with how similar the models for Pokemon look. You can look these up. Uh, there are side-by-side comparisons of, like, here's a Pokemon from Pokemon. Here's a Pal from Pal World. And it's, like, literally the exact same model. Uh, and, you know, I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> but it's pretty tough to replicate that stuff without um, some kind of infringement, I would have to imagine. I mean, down to the model, you don't accidentally make the exact same model unless you're heavily inspired by something else, right? Uh, so we'll see if any kind of lawsuit comes out of that. Uh, I don't know. I hope not, just because I really enjoy this game, and Pokemon is, like, the most profitable franchise ever. So, you know, let's let some other things ride off the coattails, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know where to stand on this. I just don't. I really enjoy Pal World, and I certainly enjoy it a lot more than I enjoyed the uh, latest Pokemon game, which runs at, like, 15 frames a second and looks like it's on the PS2. You know, Pal World's not sh- doesn't have Pal World is not bug free, uh, and I'll get into that when I re- in my review section. Um, but at least it runs somewhat consistently well, and it doesn't like make me sick to play it. So I don't know. I, I know there's Pokemon diehards out there. I was a big Pokemon Diamond kid, but I just have not been able to get back into that franchise since Diamond. Even playing the Diamond Remaster, I just I don't know. I, I think the um, Pal World is more than just Pokemon. They incorporate a lot of other systems from a lot of other games. And I think that's why it's so successful is that it takes all these things from all these different games and kind of puts it into one game and you can have like a little penguin guy with a gun. So who doesn't like that? But that's the news uh, for this week's show. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into the reviews. Be right back. Insights into Teens, a podcast series exploring the issues and challenges of today's youth. Talking to real teens about real teen problems. Explore issues from braces to puberty, social anxiety to financial responsibility. Each week, we talk about the topics concerning today's youth. We look at how the issues affect teens, how to cope with these issues, and how parents, friends, and loved ones can help teens handle these challenges. Check out our video episodes on youtube.com backslash insights into things. Catch our audio versions on podcast.insightsintoteens.com or on the web at insightsintothings.com. And we're back on No Credits Rolled for the review portion of the show where I talk about some games that I have been playing and some games, most games, that I probably won't finish. Uh, So we'll start with the big one here because the other two I don't have as much to say about. Uh, Pal World. We just talked about it in the news segment, but I want to give my review for it here. Uh, I'd say I've probably played about 10 to 15 hours of it, so I've, you know, I've not nearly accomplished the massive sweatshops that people have created on TikTok and things like that. 
but you know, I'm I'm going at my own pace, so I'm happy with what I've accomplished. Um, and I'll be honest, folks, I've been obsessed with this game since it came out to Games Pass. Uh, it's like Ark, but not bad. That's how I would describe it to people. And I'm sorry if you're an Ark fan, but I could not get into that game. I really, really tried, but I f- the UI and everything, and it was very, very not good. <laughs> there was a better word I was trying to think of, but I tried playing Ark with my friends on console, and it just wasn't happening. Um, but this game takes the elements of Ark, like the crafting and the leveling up and the dealing with creatures, and makes it way easier to accomplish, I think. Um, like I said, only about 10 to 15 hours in, so I'm still in the very early stages. But it's really the gameplay loop that keeps me coming back. I love catching new little monsters and working them into my base and building up my base and making new, um, you know, little areas, new crafting materials to find. Uh, I do find the crafting system and the ability to obtain cool things much easier than in in something like Ark. Um, You know, I've already got... I can ride around on my wolf... uh, I almost said Pokemon. Uh Uh-oh. My wolf pet uh, pal. You know, I've crafted saddles and equipment for all my pals. Like my one little... I have like a little squirrel that has a machine gun. So I think, you know, things like that I think is pretty cool. And again, you can get those things very early on. My problem with something like an arc is that I feel like you're grinding and grinding and grinding, not really knowing what you're doing. And then you still don't really have a whole lot to show for it after playing a significant amount of time. And this, I think initially the tutorial uh, is pretty well done and integrates you into the systems of the game pretty well. And again, I've been playing this solo, so maybe it's even easier with friends. But I need something like that to kind of keep me in, right? To keep me invested and to keep me progressing uh, you know, getting better gear, leveling up my base, because otherwise I, I feel kind of aimless and I don't know what to do. But if the game gives me this initial tutorial that is pretty lengthy, um, you're, it gets you through like, so far I think my base up like level seven or eight, and I'm still getting new tutorial missions. I think that's what's kept me going so far is it makes me feel like I'm accomplishing something, but I'm also exploring new things in my own way, uh, aside from what's in the tutorial. You know, what I want to craft, how I want to design my base, what pals I want to have working on my base versus in my party and what benefits they have. So all those choices for me feel very deliberate and impactful to the gameplay. And that's part of why I say it's not necessarily just Pokemon with guns. It's like Ark. It's like um, kind of like Horizon in terms of you're fighting these like big monsters and because you can find larger Pokemon. Oh, almost said it again. Oh, 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 I'll have to bleep it. You're fighting these large pals in the wild and it, it's not as not nearly as in-depth as something like a horizon where you're setting up traps and things like that. But there is that element of scale to it still. Uh, and depending on what powers you get from your pals, that can help with the gameplay as well. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like Stardew or Minecraft or any of these crafting survival games. I think I just really like it because of the pal system. I think that really adds a lot to the game. and makes it stand out from... Uh, a lot of these that do f- start to feel repetitive when you're a game, I've described it to a friend or a game where you punch a tree to get wood. That's the genre that we're in here. Um, and it's just really fun. <laughs> and like, I don't even really like these kind of games that often. And that's kind of what's most surprising about it for me is, you know, I typically don't enjoy these survival games unless I'm playing with friends or something. Cause that gives you something to do But playing solo. I very rarely put more than a couple hours in these when they come out. Like, I never, I tried playing Valheim and I didn't get it. 
Um, I might go back to it. I've tried playing Stardew solo, and that's probably the one I've gotten the furthest in just because I like the aesthetic of that game. But usually I drop off pretty quickly, and with this, I, it's like the only thing I can think about playing, which prior to this was Baldur's Gate 3. Um, so I'm kind of splitting my time between those two things passively, uh, other than the other two games we'll review today. But yeah, I was not expecting to get this obsessed with this game. Uh, I <laughs> I hope it doesn't get sued into oblivion. I hope it gets updates. I hope it has a full release. Um, and considering how popular it is, I, you know, I, I have to imagine it will in some form unless it gets completely nuked by Nintendo. But I don't know if that will happen. Um, and if it does, they're going to have, you know, six million people in their corner. So we'll see. Uh, that being said, it's not perfect. Uh, I do have some bugs by virtue of it being early access. Some clipping issues. A um, couple times I had to restart. Uh, but, n like, at least it runs at, like a, like, a decent frame rate, right? I mean, I boot up Pokemon Violet, right? Pokemon Violet. And, like, it looks like a... It's just an eyesore. <laughs> like, it really is. And, again, as someone who's not as deep into Pokemon as I used to be, I can't necessarily justify playing it. Um, just because of how poor the performance is. Like, the, the fact that it's Pokemon doesn't get me in like it used to. Um, and hey, if you love Violet, more power to you. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I just I just can't play it. I, I don't know if maybe a Switch 2 will be the remedy for that if they patch it. But, I mean, you go play Tears of the Kingdom and that game runs fine. You know, this is like an aside for Pokemon, Violet, and Scarlet. But, like, you go play Breath of the Wild, or Tears of the Kingdom, or Breath of the Wild for that matter. And, like, they don't run perfectly. You still get some frame stuttering and stuff like that, but it's, I guess it would be the art design and the art direction of those games. Like, they still run and look like a modern game and feel like a modern game. But Pokemon, that is just not the case. I, I don't know what happened. And I guess it didn't matter because I still made a ton of money. So, <laughs> and I was part of that problem because I bought the game as well. But anyway, uh, back to Pal World. Yeah, I, I mean, if you've got Games Pass, you can already play it. Uh, otherwise, if you've got some friends that like these kind of games, if you ever played Ark or Stardew or Minecraft and you've got a group of friends that are into that too, I'd highly recommend go checking it out. Um, again, I hope it doesn't get sued into oblivion. But yeah, that's my thoughts on Pal World. Now, these next two, I'm going to keep my thoughts a little bit briefer just because uh, I put even less time into them than I did with Pal World. Uh, but this next one is Alan Wake 2. Uh, I will probably bring this game up more on this show as I get more into it. I'm only like, I'd say five or six hours in maybe. Um, I've been distracted by Power World, honestly. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so far I'm enjoying what I'm playing. It's a very spooky game, which I was warned of and could imagine it was before I played it, which is why I didn't play it initially for in time for Game Awards. Um, but I finally caved. I saw enough high praise of it and I... Honestly, that song they sang at the Game Awards was really catchy, and I was like, okay, well, I kind of just have to check it out now. Um, so, yeah, I ended up caving and getting it, and I'm still in the initial sections of the game. I really like the the FBI part, which is where I'm at so far, and like I said, in the very beginning of the game. The investigating of it, the way the mind palace works with connecting clues. It reminds me of, like, L.A. Noir, kind of. Um, but, of course, there's that supernatural element, and I'm really curious to see where that's going to go. I didn't play... Alan Wake 1 or any of the DLC for it. Uh, I've watched some YouTube videos explaining it, you know, the, the plot and everything. And I it is cool to see those callbacks in Alan Wake 2, uh, as well as stuff from Control, because I did play Control and I like that game. So it's cool, like, we're getting this interconnected universe. I'm, I'm really into that stuff. 
Uh, the biggest thing I'd have to praise so far about it is the atmosphere. Uh, even in just scenes where you're just walking through the forest before anything spooky happens, it really does a great job giving you that tense atmosphere, that like gloomy, um, like Northwest, like Seattle kind of just uh, gloominess is the best way I can describe it. And I guess given the themes of like darkness in the game, that makes sense. Uh, but that's the thing that struck me the most um, so far. And yeah, I can't even imagine where it's going to go. I've, I've heard it does insane things and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and yeah, you get that sense of unease from the very beginning and right where I stopped playing recently, we got teases in, into control or things from control, like the federal bureau of control. So I'm really excited to see where all that stuff goes. Um, I love the idea of like a connected universe with control. Cause like I said, I did like that game. So we'll see what we're going to see where that goes. And the final game I have to talk about today, uh, is the last of us part two remaster, uh, specifically the roguelite mode, uh, which I believe is being called, yeah, uh, Last of Us Part Two Remastered, No Return is the name of that. Uh, it's a roguelite mode, uh, and you can progress to unlock new characters, and each character has new perks, and that's probably the coolest part, or the second coolest part. The first coolest part is the combat, because I have it written down here. The combat from Last of Us 2 still is incredible. Uh, it's so immersive and and real and visceral. Like the first time, because I haven't played Last of Us Part Two since it came out. So the, I booted it up, and the first guy that I shoot, like I like hit him in the throat, and he like slowly died in front of me. And I was like, oh my god, I feel like I really just murdered someone. Um, and then from there, you know, you're right back into it, and you and you remember the, how intense it is. That's probably the best word to describe it as intense. Because uh, I wasn't a big fan of the story in Last of Us Two. I just found it to be really. De- like unnecessarily depressing, but the combat was always the best part. So to get a mode that is just that is was ideal for me, and I was really excited for when they announced that. Um, but they've added elements to it as well. Like all the roguelite stuff is pretty cool. You're getting different perks and leveling up your character how you want, getting different weapons. And then, yeah, like I said, you kind of unlock more characters. Like you, you start off with just Abby and Ellie, but you can unlock characters like Tommy and Jesse and Joel and, you know, everybody basically uh, by playing through as different characters in certain orders. So that's kind of what I've been trying to work towards uh, when I'm tired of Pal World or Baldur's Gate or Alan Wake or, you know, I'll pop on and do a couple sections of that just because, again, that combat is really is very fun. Um, it feels weird to describe it as fun because you're like murdering people brutally, but you know what I mean. Uh, another thing I think the roguelite does well is that it captures that tension from the main game as well. Um, the tension in combat of like when you're fighting the wit, uh, not the whispers, that's from Walking Dead, the seraphites, the like the cult guys, and like they don't talk and they whisper, and then all of a sudden like there's one right behind you and you had no idea. Like all that stuff still hits really well, um, and it's kind of surprising because I guess that's just like the way the AI of the game works, the the enemy AI and the, the path finding and stuff. All that stuff is really, really great. And you get to admire, because the way it works is basically you pick a mission and it sections off a section of the original game that's like a combat arena, and you just, you're just in that arena. And you really get to admire the design of these levels. And, you know, that maybe you didn't spend as much time in the, in the original game because you just did the one combat encounter and moved on. Now you're going to these same locations multiple times, and you can kind of start to memorize routes and and really admire how good the game looks, especially with the remaster. I know some people were saying, well, 
does it really need a remaster if it only just came out? And, you know, I think you, there was a frame rate bump. Um, but it's the combat for me. That's what keeps me coming back. Uh, now, when we're talking about remasters, when we're talking about roguelite modes, I do want to compare it to Valhalla just because I feel like I have to. Uh, even though it is kind of apples and oranges, I know... But it's a Sony, one of the biggest pillars of Sony, and it's their it's their roguelite. Um, and Valhalla obviously knocks us out of the park. I was going to do a whole episode where one of the games I reviewed was Valhalla, but with the holidays and stuff, this uh, scheduling didn't work out. But yeah, Valhalla knocks us out of the park. There's much more story in Valhalla. There's virtually, as far as I know so far, I haven't beaten the whole thing, but there's virtually no story in um, No Return. Yeah, No Return. Uh, you're just, it's just pure gameplay. But in Valhalla, there's obviously a heavy emphasis on story, despite the gameplay and the combat being great. Um, so yeah, Valhalla knocks us out of the park. And I almost wish, I don't know how they would do it because Last of Us is so much more of a grounded story, but I wish there was some attempt to do a little bit of story in there. Um, like I said, I don't know how they would do that. You know, I don't want to complain. I'm happy with what we got. Uh, that being said, if you do have Assassin's Creed, if you do have God or Ragnarok, you need to go play Valhalla as soon as possible. It's not that long. I beat it in like two or three days. I'd say it's probably like a 10 to 12 hour experience. Um, maybe less if you don't like click on everything. But I love those games, so I have to. Uh, go check out Valhalla. It's fantastic. And go check out um, Last of Us 2 Remastered No Return as well. That's another thing. If you already own Last of Us Part 2, this was only a $10 upgrade. Uh, which was nice because they don't make you pay the full price like they did with Part 1's remaster. But Valhalla was free, just free, <laughs> so you can do with that information what you will. Um, but yeah, I would recommend you go play both. Go play the remaster, go play No Return, go play Valhalla. They're both great. Valhalla is just way better. That's going to wrap it up for episode two of No Credits Rolled. Thanks so much for listening. But I want to know what games you're playing and what games you're not finishing. What games are you stuck on? Have you found something like Pal World that you're obsessed with? Uh, what was your favorite game from the developer direct if you have one? Uh, let me know. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I will talk to you next time on No Credits Rolled.